0: In this video, I'm going to talk about the passing of my father to Alzheimer's slash vascular dementia, and kind of embed that with uh, some reflections on theology and worldview. I want to begin, uh, so from background, so my father, born 1934, passed away uh, April 3rd, 2019, so just t- 14 months after what the time that I'm now recording this. He was diagnosed officially in mid-December 2017, but we had already known for months and even years that there was something not right. You know, he would have increasingly erratic behavior, sudden memory lapses, forget where he was, that kind of thing. There was an email that I received. Now, my parents lived in different cities. My mom, to to this day, lives in Kelowna, British Columbia, where I grew up, and I live in Edmonton, Alberta, so about a nine-hour drive. And so I would see them a few times a year, but largely keep in touch via email and phone calls. So I received an email December 1st, 2017, and this is part of it. Mom says, this morning I had channel 10, the optic fireplace. Dad likes that. He cannot quite comprehend that it isn't actually real. Today he asked whether we had cleaned the fireplace lately. I said, which one are you talking about? He pointed to the TV and said, but that one, of course. I patiently explained that the fireplace was actually not real. And I affirmed that it looked so good, it can be confusing. Last night, he asked whether we had propane hooked up to the fireplace because it just kept burning. Oh my, every day I have new experiences to deal with. Now that's the nature of dementia, right? It's like, it just appears in these breaks from reality. Suddenly you're sitting in front of a TV with a fireplace channel and you think it's a real fireplace. My mom and dad would be watching MSNBC and watching Rachel Maddow, which they were fans of. And then my dad would suddenly think Rachel Maddow was talking about him. Or he might suddenly refer to me uh, with the name of one of his brothers. And in those moments, it wasn't entirely clear whether he was confusing names or persons. So things like that. And then mom concludes as she goes through this email, she says, I think it would be a good idea if you phoned once a day. It helps for dad to just say hello, even if he has nothing to say. A couple of nights ago, when we went down for dinner, one of our friends asked what had happened today. The only thing he could remember was that his son had phoned him. He told them he had a son who had a very important job and he lived far away. I don't know how long he will remember us all. Now when I read that, actually this is one of two times when I sort of broke down and cried in this whole process. The other time was about a couple weeks after his funeral or his memorial service. And this was the first time. Because this was kind of that key moment of really acclimatizing yourself to this new reality. And As a fan of the film The Shining, there was a scene from The Shining that right away came to mind. Now, of course, in the film, it's set at a hotel, a very large hotel in the mountains that gets cut off every winter, and there needs to be a caretaker living at the hotel. And so in this case, the caretaker is Jack Torrance, played by Jack Nicholson. Shelley Duvall plays his wife, uh, Wendy. And then Danny Lloyd, a young actor, plays Danny, their son. And because it's not going to go well, right? Jack is going to eventually kind of lose touch with reality and attempt violence against his family. But there's a scene where where Wendy is on the shortwave radio talking with the Forest Service, who's there maybe 30 miles away, but they're going to be cut off by snow soon. It's like they might as well be a world away, right? She's talking with them on the shortwave radio. And then the guy on the other end of the radio crackling shortwave radio, he says... And Mrs. Torrens, I think it would be a good idea if you kept your radio on all the time now. Good idea if you kept your radio on all the time now. And that kind of that echoed when I read my mom saying, I think it would be a good idea if you phoned once a day. We're getting into the winter, right? And we don't know how much time we'll have left. Keep your radio on. Phone once a day. And that was kind of the uh, a capsule summary moment of the existential tragedy of succumbing to dementia. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to switch over to uh, my dad's uh, service, and I'm just going to play. Oh, um, I'm going to play the uh, my eulogy. I was in my office when I first learned that my father had passed away. Moments later, <laughs> you, you made this difficult, Rick. <laughs> I thought this was gonna be, I was gonna just flow through it. Moments later, I did what millions of people do when they receive painful news. I turned to social media and I sent out a tweet announcing my dad's passing. In that tweet, I wrote that my dad taught me to live life in the light of eternity. Soon after, the well wishes, prayers and regrets started coming in. And along with them came a tweet from a friend, a friend who is an atheist. He wrote, please accept my condolences. And then he added this passage from the novelist Thomas Wolfe there came an image of man's whole life upon the earth. It seemed that all man's life was like a tiny spurt of flame that blazed out briefly in an illimitable and terrifying darkness. And that all man's grandeur, tragic dignity, his heroic glory came from the brevity and smallness of that flame. He knew his life was little and would be extinguished. And that only darkness was immense and everlasting. Wow. My friend wasn't trying to be a downer. He was simply expressing his view of death from his atheistic perspective. A view in which only darkness is immense and everlasting. That's his worldview. But it's not mine. I learned from my father a different understanding of reality, one in which that which is immense and everlasting, is that which is ultimate, is not the darkness, but rather is the light. And the human life well lived is the life that learns to live in that light, to live life in the light of eternity. In the words of John 1, 9, that true light, the light that gives light to everyone, came into the world. That light came into my father's world on New Year's Eve, 1955. It was a bitterly cold night in Edmonton and he was sitting in his truck, having been in Canada for just a few years, separated from family, struggling with the language, not sure where the next meal would come from, alone. And in that moment, he sensed himself becoming engulfed by despair. Then he suddenly experienced a calming presence envelop him, and with it came a voice. The voice, he would later say, of God himself. A voice declaring that he would be with my dad and would sustain him and protect him in the years to come. In that moment, my dad's perspective shifted From one haunted by the immensity of the darkness to the reality of the light. The light that came into the world 2,000 years ago in Jesus Christ. That light which met him on that cold winter's night more than 60 years ago. This morning I'd like to honor my dad's memory by sharing three things I learned from my father about living in the light of eternity. The first thing I learned is that when you live in the light of eternity, you live in the light of hope. Hope can be hard to come by in this life, and I understand why. When my daughter was young, I once soberly told her that I had just been diagnosed with a fatal illness. She looked at me suspiciously and asked, what is it? I replied, it's called HMS, Human Mortality Syndrome. Jamie rolled her eyes and replied, everybody has that dad. She's right, everybody does have Human Mortality Syndrome. Nobody gets out alive. My atheist friend's tweet did get one thing right. Our lives are indeed candles burning in the darkness candles, which will flicker out eventually the book of Ecclesiastes says it. Well, here is an excerpt from the message translation of chapter one smoke, nothing but smoke. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. In the Latin phrase memento mori. Remember, you will die or in the words of Genesis you are dust and to dust you shall return where is the hope in this world if our lives are but a flickering candle and the tendril of smoke that arises from it our hope is born of the fact that a candle snuffed out is in fact not the end My father's philosophy is perhaps best captured in the words of C.S. Lewis. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Dad lived in the light of an eternal perspective of hope and it transformed his view of life. Remember my off-kilter sense of humor, human mortality syndrome? I got that sense of humor from my dad. Once I was waiting for him to call and give an update on the results he just received from the doctor When the phone rang I answered it nervously and dad said bad news my boy My heart sank and then he added I'm perfectly fine (laughs) I Should have known my dad's tongue-in-cheek calculus According to that, a healthy diagnosis was bad news, news that heaven would be delayed for yet another year. To some people, that attitude can seem world-denying, but look closer. That perspective liberated him from the fear of death, from needing to hold on to every day. Rather, he could be at peace, looking forward to the life to come, Enjoying as many days here as God would give him Ever ready to come home Looking forward to a future life in which we will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye Resurrected for a restored life with God and his people in a new creation To live in the light of eternity is to live in the light of hope Second to live in the light of eternity is to live in the light of grace grace is unmerited favor it's receiving something we don't deserve something that we have not earned I have seen grace on display in the very fact that my family exists one of my father's first memories is of his father standing over his mother hitting her later as a child my father befriended a crow and actually tamed the crow and it became his beloved pet my grandmother eventually grew tired of having the crow around and she poisoned it my dad's beloved pet crow was dead i share those vignettes from my father's childhood not to demonize or dishonor my grandparents but rather as a simple illustration of the familiar principle that hurt people hurt people. In other words, if you've been hurt by others, you're more likely to hurt others. If you never knew love, you don't know how to show love. Not surprisingly, my dad had few material possessions as a child, but he desperately wanted his own jackknife. It's funny the things that stick with you. And then one night he had a dream. He was in the woods and there were jackknives all over the forest floor. He thought to himself, this must be a dream. But in that semi-rational dream logic, he thought if I fill my pockets with those jackknives and hold on really tight, I can will them into the waking world. And that's what he did. He held on tight and he woke up and his pockets were empty. Things did not get easier in Canada. Dad came to this country in 1952 as an 18 year old who didn't speak the language. Gradually he worked his way up from being a farmhand through various other odd jobs. When I was in elementary school I was delighted to learn that at one point Dad had even spent several months in jail. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world and so bursting with pride I shared that fact with all my school friends (laughs) much to the chagrin of my mother but my favorite image was when my dad described how he had worked the northern oil fields and at night he would sleep in minus 40 beside an open flare pit to keep warm with two frozen oranges in his pocket as I grew up in a warm home with a hot meal every night I often thought about those two frozen oranges. I have no memories of my father beating my mother. Instead, I have memories of joy-filled vacations to Disneyland and the Grand Canyon, water skiing on Okanagan Lake, motorbiking in the hills, swimming in our backyard pool. I remember back in 1981 being the first kid on the playground with a space invaders watch which my dad had brought back from Las Vegas for two straight weeks. I was the most popular kid in grade one. <laughs> I never had a crow poisoned. But we did grow up with several dogs a cat gerbils rabbits cockatiels doves and hamsters. Not only did I get a, an awesome Swiss army knife on my eighth birthday. But in 1984, I traveled with dad to Germany where we purchased two switchblades and a large hunting knife. When we tried to take them in our carry-on luggage on the flight home, (laughs) the airport security apologetically told us that we would have to put them into our checked baggage. Growing up, I never appreciated the miracle of all of this, of all the things that I had taken for granted that the father who had memories of his father hitting his mother and of his crow being poisoned and who had never received even the meager jackknife of his childhood longings could nonetheless one day give his children so much what broke that generational curse what was it that shattered the law that said hurt people hurt people the answer is simple it's God's Unmerited favor grace on that cold December night in 1955 God promised to be with dad always and he was in return I remember every night in my childhood seeing dad end the day reading his Bible in the living room wing chair he proudly declared it the only book he had ever read he would then end the day on his knees In prayer for his family a silent testimony of devotion to live in the light of eternity is to live in the light of grace finally to live in the light of eternity is to live in the light of the cross some of my best memories were snowmobiling every winter in the hills above our house one night we built a fire on the side of frozen shoot lake deep in the woods And as that fire crackled and the stars sparkled overhead, dad told a story. He described a similar scene close to 2,000 years ago, one with a roaring fire and a frozen lake. In this case, a group of Christians had been forced by Roman soldiers out onto the middle of the lake where they would freeze to death. And they were told they could come back and join the fire at any time if only they would renounce their faith. Eventually, one shivering man could take it no longer. He came back and renounced Christ and warmed himself by the fire. But at that same moment, God gave a glimpse of eternity to one of the soldiers at the fire. And he walked out onto the ice. That story always stayed with me. in in part because I see it as my father's story. He was given a glimpse of heaven on that New Year's Eve so many years ago, and he stepped out onto the ice. What is more, that story reminded me time and again that the Christian life is a life where we are all called to take up our crosses daily and to step onto the ice. That lesson came through again in the final months of his life as dad stoically received a diagnosis of dementia and was brought day by day to turn over his own life to the care of others. Today end of life issues are often um, predicated on the pursuit of death with dignity. While people have various interpretations of what it means to pursue death with dignity, To me, it is perfectly exemplified in my father's quiet and peaceful journey into the light, hope, and grace and the saving cross. Well done, Dad, thou good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy of the Lord. Amen. All right. So, my final thoughts. First thing I want to say is, well, every year in the systematic theology classroom, when I teach at seminary, there's always students that are going to say something like this. Why do I have to know this? How can I use this in ministry? Questions like that. Analogically, that's like uh, saying when you're undertaking a peer scientific inquiry, yeah, but how can I use this in technological application? What difference does this scientific knowledge make? And they're not bad questions, right? Like, you, you, it's, it's worthwhile to ask, well, how could we use this? But there's also a place for the pursuit of pure science. So E equals MC squared, this great equation from Einstein, which for many people sort of encapsulates the arcane usings of the scientist. It nonetheless has extraordinary technological application. Everything from, you know, atomic bombs and nuclear power to the low-grade buzz of an exit sign in a movie theater. E equals MC squared has had all sorts of uh, technological applications. So the lesson is, I would submit, on the one hand, that you shouldn't let practical, pragmatic considerations of scientific inquiry guide or determine scientific inquiry, but you should recognize that as you do increase in your knowledge of science, it will have all sorts of technological applications. And it's the exact same thing when it comes to theology, that as you pursue theological understanding, you work out what your beliefs are, develop a systematic theological understanding of your own, it will have all sorts of implications and applications. So don't let the pragmatic considerations or practical considerations determine everything, but recognize that your theology will have practical and pragmatic implications of all sorts. And if there is a place where that is certainly the case, it is in discussing the meaning of life and the question of suffering and death. So I tried to convey that certainly in my eulogy. There have, you have different worldviews. One worldview is a worldview that ends in darkness and a resignation, a stoicism. The other one is a worldview that can look toward an ultimate light that the idea that the source of all life and being is a maximally good, great, loving being though, the likes of which we cannot begin to imagine two very different worldviews. Uh, the Christian worldview, the worldview that ends in light, as I said, these themes come through hope, a worldview that can look at death and the loss that comes with death through a prism of hope to recognize that this is not the end of all things and that there is a greater purpose to the things that we endure in this life. It is a worldview that is shaped by grace, unmerited favor, a grace that comes through really with every breath that we partake of, but can be manifested in so many ways. And hopefully that Christian worldview can illumine us, can open our eyes to see the light and the grace that comes into our lives every day in all sorts of ways. And finally, It's a worldview that recognizes the place of suffering, uh, the cross, of course, being the ultimate example of that, but suffering that's not without purpose, suffering that can be allowed for a particular purpose. And so as we journey in our own way toward our ultimate realization of our mortality, that everything is smoke, that we are mortal, that we will die, that we too can live that out in the light of eternity by recognizing Uh, the hope that we can have in light of our Christian beliefs by recognizing the grace that we partake of and enjoy every day. And by recognizing that as we journey through the valley of the shadow of death, we do so not alone, uh, but as we take up our cross, we do so in emulation of a Savior who has gone before us and taken up his cross as well.